Coming up today on Growing Grace. You think you'll become an expert in the Bible and you'll have eternal life. That's not what eternal life is. It's the person behind the words, the creator, the instigator, the source, the originator. You have to humbly submit to him, to God. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Hey, happy 4th of July. You know, in a court of law, a witness is one who gives testimony, who has personally seen or perceived something, and we all know that serves as evidence. A good witness can make or break a case. Well, today on Grow in Grace, we'll encounter four very credible witnesses of Christ who establish his claims. But first, we'll examine a few claims of Christ, and the first is that he's the origin of life. Let's turn to John chapter 5, We'll begin in verse 22. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. You shall not come into judgment. You won't ever be judged. No judgment, no condemnation for sin. Judgment will go on to someone else. The substitute, Jesus Christ. The scapegoat, the son. Most surely, verse 25, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. What? When I was a young pastor, I was trying to understand how to do a funeral. So I went through the New Testament trying to see what Jesus did at funerals. Every time he went to a funeral, he raised the corpse. <laughs> and I was a little short of that power. <laughs> what do I do? The widow of Nain's son, we're going to see pretty soon, he, out of the city of Nain, there's this funeral procession going on. This mother's weeping. She lost her only son. Jesus walks up to the funeral bar, to the stretcher, puts his hand on the stretcher and the kid sits up. Okay, there's not going to be any message here for a funeral, folks. <laughs> the kid's going back to school. <laughs> Jairus has a daughter in Capernaum, we'll see, and she dies. There's professional whalers there that are crying out and blowing flutes and things. And Jesus comes and, and they said, she's dead. He said, oh, no, no, she's just sleeping. And they laughed at him. So he put him out, took her by the hand, says, little girl, Tagatha Kume, little, little lamb, sit up. Boing, here she does. Another perfectly good funeral ruined. And then in chapter 11, a little while before we get there, sometime about 2028. Martha and Mary have a brother named Lazarus, and he dies. And they want Jesus to come, and he doesn't come until Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. Now, Israel is hot. Think Cathedral City, 29 Palms, Palm Spring. He's in the grave for four days, and Jesus comes. They said, he's here. And Jesus said, roll back the stone. His sister said, no, no, no. He stinks, God. Nothing like giving God advice. <laughs> and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes out. 
That's what he's talking about. Those who hear will live. But he's also talking to us who are dead in our trespasses and sin. That's what Ephesians 2 says. We who are dead in our trespasses and sin, he is made alive by his voice. He's speaking right now. Do you hear him? He's speaking to you. He's sure speaking to me. Verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in him. This goes really hard against Charles Darwin. <laughs> okay. Now, I don't blame Darwin. He wrote his book, The Origin of the Species, in 1859, before the American Civil War. Nobody knew anything about chromosomes or DNA. And he tried to understand it. He got it wrong. Not because he wasn't trying to get it right. He really was. This says, Jesus claims, he gives life. But science is working hard to figure out how life began. There's all kinds of theories. There's a slap of lightning and a pre-mortal soup and out came a worm. And then the worm got too much sun and a blister on the top of its head. And then that blister turned into an eye. And then that worm had a second eye and that became your mother. We know, you know, because everybody that's been through junior high science knows that life is a difficult thing to define. We know when something's dead, but it's difficult to say that something is alive. What is life? It's mysterious, it's power under control. You have life. God gave it to you in your mother's womb. It's called DNA. DNA has four base prayers. Only four letters in the alphabet. And the same DNA that you have using those four base pairs are just the same thing that's in that grass out there, in the tree out there, in a single-cell blue-green algae. From the most complex living thing to the most simple living thing, the program, the computer program, that tells your body and mind and everything else what to do, the thing called life, it's DNA. Now, we didn't know that to the 1940s when two scientists, Watson and Crick, discovered that it was so simple. You see, we have 26 letters in the English alphabet, right? And we use those letters to make words. And then we put those words together into sentences. And then we put those sentences together into paragraphs. And then we put the paragraphs together into books, 600 pages long, 26 letters. If you're Chinese, you have about 10,000 characters. Jesus said, I can do it in four. You have life because he took four letters and made DNA. That's what he's claiming here. He's claiming that life is in him. Now, don't misunderstand. We teach evolution at our junior high and high school here. Well, why, Pastor? Well, because you can't get into college if you don't understand evolution today. You can't criticize it till you understand it. But if you do understand it, then you begin to ask questions. 
And that's a good thing to do. What is the origin of species? Did they come from that lightning flash or did they come from God? Jesus claims that there aren't any new species. What? When you read in the paper, well, there's a new species that we found of alligator. Doesn't mean it just, was, it just came about. It means it's been hiding so long that we hadn't seen it until now. Shocker, there are no new species. Well, there are variations. We all understand that. COVID-19 has built within it adaptation because the creator was smart enough to make that in them. And it moves from the original variant to Delta. We all know about that now. And now we know that the Delta gets changed into Omicron. And then there's a BA1 and a BA2. And how many are going to be? I don't know. <laughs> because God built adaptivity into life. It's the wonder of DNA. That's what Jesus is claiming. Life is in me. The Father gave me life, I give it to others. They see, there aren't new species. In fact, we're losing a thousand species a year. How so, Pastor? Well, we got Amazon rainforests that are dying off and killing all kinds of species of bugs and animals that we have never cataloged yet. So it's not that there's new species all the time. We're not creating, we're not seeing Earth filling up with species because that's what Charles Darwin said would happen. It isn't. He was wrong. But you've got to understand the system before you criticize it, okay? No new species. Sorry for the sidetrack. We're looking at several claims of Christ here on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. And here's one more from John 5. Okay, Jesus, we're back to Jesus, verse 27. And has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. He's God, man. He came to earth. The father lets Jesus do it because he's going through the same thing you and I are. Sixth claim, last claim of Jesus, the one who raises the dead. This is cool. Don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. Everyone in the grave, the voice of Jesus will cause every person someday in every cemetery in the world to come out of the grave. Pastor, you've been in the sun too long. No, that's what scripture says. Then when Jesus returns the next time, he's picking up everybody, giving us new bodies. Amen. Astounding claim. The ones that were listening, they're, they're shaking their head. Those who are in the graves will hear his voice, verse 28, verse 29, and come out. Those who have done good to the rest. Now, don't misunderstand this verse. Jesus is not teaching justification, rightness with God, by works. That's not what he's saying. Those who have done good, the right thing, accepted Jesus as their Savior, surrendered him, given their life to him. It's a category. Those who have done that, to resurrection of life. To those who have done evil, rejected his gift of life, won't surrender their lives to him, resurrection of the condemned. Two categories, not two events, two categories, resurrection of life and resurrection of condemnation because they refused to surrender to the Lord. God couldn't change their hearts because they refused to give him access to that. Okay, that's the first section. 
See how simple that was? <laughs> Jesus' six claims. Now he has four proofs. We should be done about three. Just teasing you. We'll go quickly. Fasten your seatbelts. Verse 30. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. <clears throat> Why? Because he's currently, when he says this, God incarnate. God in the flesh. I can do nothing of myself as I hear I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus said, even in judgment, he will be submitted to Father God. 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. If someone only has themselves to call on in a court of law, well, I, I say this is true, the judge and jury are not impressed. They ask for witnesses, testimony. It's the whole basis of a jurisprudence system. So he's saying, you need some witnesses. I have four for you. There is another one who bears witness. The first one, John the Baptist. Another one who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses to me is true. One witness would come, Deuteronomy 19.15 says. First witness, verse 33, you have sent John. And he has borne witness to the truth. Because John saw Jesus come, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was John's witness, testimony, that Jesus was who he said he was. 34, yet I do not receive testimony from man, not just from a human, but I say these things that you may be saved. I'm trying to help you guys, you Pharisees, you religious experts. I want you to be saved. You're blind. Listen, I have something for you. Verse 35, John, the Baptist, was a burning and shining lamp. You were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. It's like burning magnesium. He was a man of integrity, in integer, a single thing. What he said, he believed and he did. You liked that at first. Second witness, Jesus works miracles. Verse 36, but I have a greater witness than John. For the works which my Father has given me to finish the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. The miracles I'm doing are a testimony that Father God has sent me. Supernatural things. I have control over nature. He's going to be in a boat in the middle of a storm and say, peace, and the winds stop and the storm still. Works, miracles. Third witness. Father spoke at Jesus' baptism. Father God did, verse 37. And the Father himself who sent me has testified, has spoken of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The voice came from heaven as the dove came down on Jesus in the Jordan River. Verse 38. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. If you would abide in my words, if you would live in the words I'm giving you, Jesus will say in verse 15, verse, excuse me, chapter 15, verse 7. If you live in my words, then my words will give you life. So, the third witness, Father God said, this is my son. Last witness, the scriptures. 39. You search the scriptures, the Old Testament, they had the entire Old Testament, for in them you think you have eternal life. These testify of me. What's he talking about? The scriptures have 
300 prophecies in the Old Testament that describe, that refer to the first coming of Jesus. Astounding things. In them, you think there's eternal life. You think you'll become an expert in the Bible and you'll have eternal life. That's not what eternal life is. It's the person behind the words, the creator, the instigator, the source, the originator. You have to humbly submit to him, to God. Verse 40, but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. You have to surrender. Why don't we? Because we want to control our own lives. We turn away from the author of life, the one who gave the scriptures. Now, the Pharisees, whom we're talking to, they were noted, they were known for memorizing the first five books of the Bible. Now, we can read it. They memorized it word for word. And they thought, well, because we memorized it, we have God's word in this and we're saved. No, I do not receive the honor of men. I don't seek approval of humans is what he's saying. But I know you and you do not have the love of God in you. The son reads their hearts right in front of them. He looks at them and he goes, you're refusing God. You say you love God, but you don't. 43, I've come in my father's name. You do not receive me. If another comes in his, his own name, you'll receive him. You'll reject the Messiah of God, but you'll accept these other false human deceivers that are coming. 44, how can you believe who receive honor from another and don't seek the honor that comes from the only God? Honoring men, men honoring each other. He's talking about accomplishments, PhDs, MDs, or maybe even clear Oscars. You know, the Oscars. What a parade. You take a bunch of actors and they vote about on who should be getting the Oscar. And then that person comes up and says, oh, thank you. you're so smart. You recognize I'm such an important person. And look, you've given me this gold idol, just what I needed. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm sorry if I stepped on your idol. You don't seek honor that comes from God. You're seeking it from one another. Verse 45, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There's one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. I'm not going to accuse you, Jesus said. But Moses, Moses... Moses is the most important prophet to any Jew, the one who gave truth. Moses, Rabbanu, the, the Moses, the teacher, our rabbi, he's called. The most important prophet, they say, is going to accuse you, Jesus said, because they were failing to obey. For if you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. Jesus said he, he was the one that was writing about me in Deuteronomy 18. He said, I'll send a prophet. Moses said, God's going to send another prophet like me. Him you shall hear according to all the desire of the Lord your God. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among the brethren. He'll be a Jew and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words through him which he speaks in my name, I will require. He'll have to answer to me for not listening to my son who I sent from heaven. That's what he's saying. Verse 47, but if you do not believe Moses' writing, how will you believe my words, Jesus is saying? This is the Old Testament is full of these prophecies that you and I can look at today. Like, I'll just give you eight. Isaiah 7, 14. 
the Messiah would be born of a virgin, and so he was. Now, Isaiah was written hundreds of years, at least 600 years, before Jesus was born. Isaiah 9, 7, the Messiah would be heir to the throne of David. He would be a relative of David, his great, 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 great grandson. And so Jesus was. Isaiah 53, 3, he would be rejected by his own people, the Jews, and so he is. In fact, we're reading it right now, the way they are. Isaiah 53, 9, his grave would be with a rich man, a rich man's grave, Joseph of Arimathea. And that's what he was buried in, a rich man's grave. Isaiah 53, 12, that he'd be crucified with criminals, one on each side. Zechariah 9, 9, that he would come into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on <laughs> Palm Sunday. And so he did. Zechariah 12, 10, he would be pierced through his hands and his feet. And so he was. Micah 5, 2, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, said that it would be born in a little tiny obscure village called Bethlehem. <laughs> we know it. Thousands of people visit it every year because that's where the Savior of the world was born. Wow, but can we believe? Can we trust this book? Is it reliable? It's the most reliable historic document on the planet. Pastor, how can you say that? I'm glad you asked. Roman historian Tactus wrote about 116 AD. We have one copy of his first six books, but it wasn't written until 850 AD, 700 years after the original, 700 years later, the first copy we can find exists. What happened in between? We don't know. Maybe it got changed thousands of times. Jewish historian Josephus, you've heard me quote him. He wrote during the first century, the last part of the first century. The history of the Jewish world. We have nine Greek manuscripts. The oldest one was written in 950 AD, 850 years after Josephus wrote it. Well, what got changed? We don't know. We don't have any copies. The Iliad, Homer's classic. We have more copies of it than any other ancient document except the Bible. The oldest copy of the Iliad, Venetus A, it's called, is from 950 AD. It was written 800 BC. So 1,200 years between when it was written and the first copy we have to check. We don't have the original. All we have is this one that's only 1,000 years old. How about the Old Testament? Now let's stack that against the Old Testament. We have a copy of the book of Isaiah, like you have in your Bible, 66 chapters long. If you go to Israel with us, you can walk into the museum there, walk up to a glass case that's hemispherically controlled, and look at that copy from the Dead Sea Scrolls that were 200 BC, and every word is the same as in your Bible. The Bible is reliable from Genesis to Revelation. It's God's Word, and we can be confident that it's true. Thanks for listening to Grow in Grace as we continue our journey through the New Testament. Today's message from Pastor Ed Ray is a part of our study in John's Gospel, 
and you can hear it again at thepackinghouse.org. You'll find all of our recently aired programs right there at thepackinghouse.org, as well as an archive of Pastor Ed's messages. We're also on YouTube, and that's a great way to live stream our services or watch recently delivered messages. Search for Packing House Christian Fellowship, and if you prefer to have a CD copy of today's message, just call toll-free 844-77-GRACE. Again, we're here to serve you at 844-77-GRACE. As we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we're looking to our listeners for help. Even a small donation can have a large impact by God's grace. And whatever comes in goes straight to the ministry. When you support Grow in Grace with a gift of any amount today, be sure to request our featured resource. It's a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. This is a no-compromise call to biblical revival and spiritual excellence that we all need to hear. You'll see the great disparity between today's church and the Church of Acts. Again, we're making it available for a gift of any amount. Just give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We'll take a look at the feeding of the 5,000 tomorrow on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We'll see you then. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now build with hands and in this place got to dwell with man. Sit build and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love.